Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, and no Gavin today, but I am joined by a fantastic guest. I have JJ Jackson from the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. And who else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about AJ Griffin, who is seeing himself tied to the Knicks quite a bit lately. Talk about the injury history, AJ's play at Duke, where he's going to fit positionally in the NBA. How concerning his defense is, or not concerning. Maybe JJ totally loves it. But we're going to talk about all that. Plus, talk about Mark Williams, his candidacy to potentially be a pick for the Knicks. If Paolo Bencaro is like that dude that you mortgage the future and everything else to trade up for. Not that I necessarily think the Knicks would do that, but it's still fun to talk about. And we talk about Coach K's legacy and how you know things are going to go for Duke now with him gone. And how he might have affected a guy like AJ Griffin. So that's all next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, up. Now fires it. And he's fouled. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. And today's show is brought to you by Arcade One Up. Locked On is partnering with Arcade One Up to give away three free NBA Jam Shack machines. Stay tuned for later in the show to learn how to enter. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And as I mentioned, I'm joined by JJ Jackson, Triple J, to talk about some Duke Blue Devils. He's, of course, the host of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. So I won't hold this up any longer. Let's get right into this awesome discussion about A.J. Griffin and the guys. All right, as promised, I am joined by J.J. Jackson of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. If any of you happen to check the episode out, I did an episode with J.J., I think prior to last Knicks season, uh, checking in on R.J. Barrett. So I'm calling in to return my favor now that it's draft time. So that we can get the goods on AJ Griffin and Paolo Bancaro. JJ, how you doing? How's uh how's the draft process treating you? Honestly, I'm kind of curious from like a a, a team specific pod perspective. Like how how is it for you when you've got two guys that are projected to probably go in the top ten ish? Yeah, no, Alex, it's good to be back with you. That was a lot of fun the last time we were able to chat on my podcast, and uh, I'd absolutely jump at the opportunity to return the favor. So. Glad to be here. In regards to the happenings of Locked On Blue Devils, uh, what a whirlwind of a season it's been. I know all of the basketball world was at least somewhat aware of the fact that Mike Krzyzewski was going into his last year as the head coach of Duke basketball. So a lot of eyeballs on this team. And now Duke's got, of course, Paulo and AJ closer to the top. Mark Williams seems to be solidified towards the back end of that lottery. And then a couple of more guys and Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore Jr. that are hoping to be called at the end of the first round. Kentucky in 2010 set the record with five first-round picks, and this is the first time a school has legitimately had a chance 
to try and tie that record. So it's been a whole lot of fun, man. At this point, I'm just counting down the days until we can get to that draft to finally know where guys are going and that sort of thing. And from the NBA perspective, I would imagine it's starting to get to that point for you as well, where it's like, all right, we're talking a lot about this. Let's just go ahead and see what these results are. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> we're certainly waiting with bated breath to see who's going to end up there for the Knicks because I think the main thing is there's been a lot of rumors of guys moving up into the top 10 and stuff like that. Dyson Daniels is one of them who's actually one of my favorites. I'm kind of sad to see that he's moving up like that. Um, but, the you know, Shaden Sharp declares late and then, you know, kind of shakes up the top 10 that way. So it's going to be really intriguing to see who makes it outside of the top 10. Uh, and to a team like the Knicks, who are sitting kind of just outside that range, ready to kind of poach whoever ends up there, potentially. And one of those guys, of course, is A.J. Griffin, who I want to lead the show off. Although I do want to talk about Coach K in a minute, too. And I have a I have a way to link that to A.J. But uh, I, I don't think we could start any A.J. Griffin conversation without talking about the injury history first. You know, he he came into the season... Uh, hurt for Duke and then, you know, got on the floor and put up, you know, honestly, historic shooting numbers or maybe not quite historic, but I mean, pretty darn close. Like you shoot 45% from three. That's, that's really notable, especially when you have a stroke that looks as nice as his does. Um, But I I think the injury concerns persisted throughout the year, all the way up until uh, the tournament when of course he, he went down at one point, but then was able to come right back for the next game. Um, you know, it, it's I think at this point, it's safe to say, like, how sturdy is this guy's lower body as much as he looks like a specimen? Clearly, there's some issues going on there where he had some injuries in high school and, you know, then the injuries at Duke as well. So what's your read on his injury history? Because I think that's the honestly in a vacuum without that injury history. I don't think there's any way that we're even talking about him potentially making it to the Knicks at pick 11. Uh, so. You know, what? what's your read on that? Do you think that he's healthy? Do you think that he sort of was working his way into shape throughout the year for Duke? Like, what's your just overall read on that situation? I think we started to get there. I think he is starting to work his way into shape a little bit. Obviously, the injuries in high school were concerning, not playing a full season of ball really until this past year for Duke. You start this season off going into preseason, and as their team is really ramping up for the first game of the year – against Kentucky, by the way. It's not some small school for Duke to get kind of acclimated with playing against one another. They're starting off the year in the garden against Kentucky and for Duke to go out and and have A.J. actually available uh, for them in that game. He didn't play a whole lot, just a few minutes in the first game of the season. But ever since that moment, he really did start to work himself back into playing shape, and the injuries weren't that big of a concern at the start. It was just simply, hey, this guy hasn't played in a really long time, a full season of basketball. So uh, he is athletic, and you didn't get to see a whole lot of that because it didn't feel like he was as confident in his leaping ability. It took him a long while to get a dunk, and when you're 6'6 and playing on a team like Duke and you've got a lot of open opportunities, you'd figure it'd come a little bit sooner. Uh, But as he continued throughout the year, he really was one of the top players for Duke, and it was really awesome to see – how much fun he was having because you could tell how much the injuries were a part of his past. And then, as you mentioned, in Michigan State, round of 32, he unfortunately got hurt towards the end of that game. But then Duke had a full week off until they played again, and he was able to play the rest of the tournament. So really, for A.J. Griffin, he didn't miss a single game. He played in every game. 
and didn't miss a single game this season, there are just those big question marks of his injury past as to uh, whether or not you want to make that type of, of draft investment in a guy like him. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it, I actually, I honestly had not realized that he did not miss a game this year until, you know, like you, you look at the game logs, but the way that people talk about him, you would think that he spent half the year, <laughs> you know, people almost talk about him in some ways as if it's like Michael Porter Jr. again or something like that. And MPJ was very different because, I mean, he sat basically the whole year. Right. Um, if not, I, I, I think he managed to play like a handful of games, but it was really not a lot. And then he was sidelined with that back injury that still is bothering him today. Whereas with AJ, it's, I guess, more about like how he looks, you know, like, is it, I I think I'm going to, I'm going to skip questions and, and go to this one because this is the thing that I think concerns me the most, obviously on offense, he was really good. Um, you know, the, he shot the lights out and it seems like he was able to in sort of an RJ Barrett sort of way, even if he wasn't super fast and super explosive, like maybe he once was on those legs, like he was able to use his craft to get inside and stuff like that. But on defense is where I think people have some question marks. I mean, obviously at his size, he projects more as a wing at the next level, like actually, while we're talking about RJ Barrett, I think he's sort of in build sort of resembles RJ a little bit, you know, six, six, just like built like a grown man already, you know, ready to just kind of get right into the NBA. But positionally, where do you think he's going to fit in, in the NBA? You know, do you think that he can guard wings? Do you think that he has that lateral quickness and stuff? Because it seems like that was something that he showed flashes of in college, but maybe didn't have the consistency you would want out of a guy that you would be taking, potentially as high as him. And, and maybe that's also part of why he's dropping at this point. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think he's going to be able to guard wings at the next level. I understand where the concern and the holdup might be. I think when you look at what you're watching for Duke, obviously a, a, an advantage for a program like that is, as I mentioned, they do have five guys that are likely to be drafted this season. He's playing with a lot of, of really good defenders outside of that. They've got elite rim protection and Mark Williams, Wendell Moore Jr., was regarded as one of the best wings defenders in the conference. And so he would typically take one of the better wings out there on the floor defensively. And then Paulo's out there as well. So uh, there are a lot of guys out there on the floor for Duke that are having to make an impact on the defensive end. So A.J. Griffin didn't have as tough of assignments from time to time throughout the season. But I think that absolutely as he gets into the NBA, you're going to have to defend in order to stay on the floor. And as he continues to play more basketball, just like anything, when you continue to do something and you know, okay, I'm good, I'm not going to be injured, I can be confident in this, he's going to start to gain that confidence and really benefit from that. All right, I'll be right back in with JJ talking about some of the other guys on Duke, Mark Williams, Paolo Bencaro, and also Coach K's legacy. A lot to get into uh, with the rest of the show other than just AJ Griffin. But I have to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And you know our friends at Build are always coming out with amazing new flavors. This time, they have truly outdone themselves with their new Mud Pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Built is introducing the new Mud Pie flavor in both a Mud Pie bar and a Mud Pie puff. Rare that you get the double flavor combination. Not sure what Mud Pie tastes like well, 
If you're a chocolate fan, you'd better sit down for this. The new Mud Pie Bar is rich whipped cream and chocolate mousse smothered in 100% real chocolate and topped with a cookies and cream crumble. It's, man, you probably asked some people from Duke about that because I think it's a big, big Southern flavor. You've got to try Mud Pie as soon as possible, and you need to hurry because the Mud Pie Bar and Mud Pie Puff are only available for a limited time. Make sure to visit Built.com to taste the deliciousness for yourself. And if you're not convinced, luckily we saved the best part for last. It's actually good for you too. No, seriously, all Built products are low in calories, high in protein, and low in sugar. Mud Pie is packed with 16 grams of protein and only 150 calories and 8 grams of sugar. It's like your mom baked the most deliciously creamy chocolate mud pie and wrapped it up just for you. Of course, covered in 100% real chocolate because all Built Bars are. You're going to love the new Mud Pie Built Bar and Built Puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar. And they taste better than a candy bar. So go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Yeah, so on a on another uh, note here, I I also was curious about his, his role and the overall, I guess we'll call it inconsistency. Like, I... So... I have some concerns with how Coach K was coaching guys yeah. uh, for years. I mean, I felt like, honestly, and this goes all the way back to when I was doing, you know, when we were so invested in that 2019 team, obviously, as Knicks fans, I watched a lot that year in particular and saw a lot of RJ and Zion and Cam. And I just remember thinking, like, he has so much talent on this team and yet it seems like coach K every year would sort of pick like the guy quote unquote and be like, okay, the offense runs through you. And even though I have a bunch of other five-star guys on the floor right now, I'm not going to necessarily treat them like that. And I, you know, I think that it seems like maybe that was the case with AJ to me a little bit this year where some games he would be a little more prominent, but you know, Paolo was like the guy. Uh, to have out there with the ball in his hands and be like the scorer. And it, it seems to me like then AJ got a little lost in the shuffle. But like, what was your read on that situation? Do you think that AJ was more like disappearing because of something related to him? Or do you think it was more game plan related with Coach K where ju- there were just some games where he just wasn't being featured as much? I think it's that latter. I, I think because there's so many mouths to feed so to speak on a team like that in a game like college basketball uh, which again I have to remind myself and a lot of people that uh, from your perspective are watching so much NBA and then jump back into the college game the floor is smaller there's just not as much spacing when you're taking a look at everything out there it can sort of be clogged and then from the Coach K perspective with all the talent that's been there uh, it's not wise for any of us to sit here and start to doubt what he's doing, so to speak, being the all-time winningest coach in college hoops and five national championships and what he was able to do on the Olympic level. But it's also fair to say that it's okay that Duke's going to move on and bring in a younger guy and John Shire, a bright-minded for Coach K to uh, uh, to go into the retirement phase of his life uh, at 75 because it did start to feel, as you're saying, towards the end of his career where, it, hey, let's just play ball with our best players out there on the floor and let them kind of work things out on the fly. It worked. A lot of times Duke was able to win really big, important games 
but sometimes from the basketball perspective, they would also have some uh, funky or ugly losses that would pop up every now and again in the basketball wouldn't be the best to watch and that sort of thing. So um, I, I do think it's fair to say that A.J. Griffin um, at times didn't look like he was as engaged because there were other uh, kind of ball-dominant players in the system and it was difficult to find ways to get him involved. But if you really want to see A.J. Griffin, like the game to pull up for A.J. Griffin is uh, the game against North Carolina in the Dean Dome in Chapel Hill. Uh, Coach K and Duke walked in and, and knocked off North Carolina and A.J. had 27 points in that one, was the star player of both teams on the floor. Like, that's one of the games I would go to uh, for anybody to check out and be like, yep, that's him. That's A.J. Griffin that we love. Yeah, I might go in and, and watch that uh, watch that game over again. I've, I've definitely watched some of that, and it might be worth a rewatch, yeah. especially as as the, the Knicks talk ramps up a little bit here uh, towards the draft, although I don't want to set myself up for disappointment either. I've definitely done that before. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to, as an aside, talk about Coach K for just a second because, you know, you just mentioned it right there. Like, you know, even people that that cover the team and, and watch the team all the time, you know, have maybe questioned where he was at coaching-wise. You know, I, like I said, I'll make no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I thought that, especially for his last, like, I don't know, six, seven years, that the game had sort of passed him by a little bit. And granted, he still managed to lead these teams, these star-studded teams to – you know, good results. Like he made the final four this year. It's not like he did nothing. You know what I mean? But like, it, it does make me wonder a little bit, like, it, you know, how this team is going to react. Like, what do you, what's your overall thought on first off the recruiting? Because it does seem like he's still going to play a role with Shire there. He just doesn't want to be full-time coaching anymore. So obviously if Shire still needs him to come in and plot the rings on the table, a la Pat Riley or whatever, he can still come in and do that in recruit meetings, and I'm sure he'd be happy to do it in retirement. So I doubt that there's going to be that big of a change in their recruitment, but I'm curious about your thoughts on that. And then also, how do you think things are going to change from a coaching perspective at, at Duke? Because I think we saw like Huber Davis come into you know North Carolina and with a, I, I would say, probably one of their less talented teams in years – make a, a finals, you know, with that. And, you know, if, if not, maybe for some, some injuries like to Baycott in the final there, maybe they end up winning, you know? And so I'm kind of curious what you think about Shire and him coming in and, and taking over for, again, similar situation. It's so weird how like the, these parallels run between yeah. North Carolina and Duke where both of their hall of fame coaches retire within like a couple years of one another. They're getting like young up and comers that were, previous you know guards at the at the university coming into coach like there's a lot of similarities but I think that Duke is going to have more firepower as usual like more recruiting juice like they always do but then if Shire can have a similar effect like coaching I, I think that they could be on the verge of becoming like a multiple national championship powerhouse again uh you know over the course of an of a number of years but what's your overall read on that situation how are like Duke fans feeling about that transition? Yeah, a, a lot to unpack there for sure. I, I'm excited, and I know that uh, a lot of Duke fans are as well because it is uh, an opportunity to start something fresh and real, and uh, also unknown because myself included. At, at you know, and John Shire, this is the crazy thing to think about. Like at at, at 26 years old, the only thing I've known in my life 
is Coach K being the head coach at Duke. The man who's following him, John Shire, at 33 years old, the only thing John Shire has known in his life is Coach K being the head coach at Duke. It's just crazy how long someone's been there. And so to go through this process is way different and something that we're not used to. Coach K did not change offices. He is still in more of an advisory role for the uh, university there. He and his family do have uh, a lot of charity and, and big investments into the university and kind of growing the Durham area and that sort of thing. And that's very much so something that he's still passionate about and wants to give back and take part. And he has been around for a number of the recruiting visits. John Shire is walking in to this upcoming basketball season with the number one recruiting class. That's like never happened before. When does a coach that's never has never been a head coach before take over a program and all of a sudden they've got the number one recruiting class? Well, because Coach K and Duke tend to be of the forward-thinking variety, they all of a sudden uh, know that, hey, we should probably make a plan before Coach K actually retires to tell these recruits what's going on. And so he's got the number one class. You jump ahead to 2023, guys that are about to be seniors. Duke's got the number one class. So they're set up to do really well in that regard. And yeah. then also from the Shire perspective, they recently hired uh, Rachel Baker to take over as the team's general manager. No college basketball team has a general manager. What in the world is happening here? But she's got Nike EYBL ties. She worked a little bit in the NBA league office. And as uh, NIL, as the name image likeness laws continue to be more and more in play and more and more of a factor in the college game, like it just makes sense for Shire to hire somebody like that who was leading Nike EYBL and can be a direct plug to get you into the places you need to be to see the best talent in America. Not that they needed that, but just to, to kind of show you where Duke is at. And then I'll also add – when John Shire becomes the head coach, he needs to find somebody to replace him as his role as an assistant coach. And so instead of getting a former Duke coach that's out there, because there are hundreds of them, he goes over to Kentucky and takes Jay Lucas, who is the number two recruiter in college basketball. John Shire was number one. He's like, you know what? Kentucky is always right behind us. Let's go take their top recruiter and have him join Duke. So they're going to be so fine on recruiting. It's not even funny. Uh, now the question's just going to become, can they put the results together on the floor? And for somebody like John Shire, who is 33, Coach K was 33 years old when he started the job as Duke's head coach. I think Shire's going to be super excited to be able to show off how much basketball he knows. And he's just so young and energetic that you're going to get to see that. Yeah, it certainly sounds like the rich are getting richer as far as the, <laughs> the recruiting process goes. As someone who, I, I'll be honest, outside of, you know, getting RJ Barrett and, and now Cam Reddish and having all this investment in Duke in that way, I was never a huge Duke fan. So yeah. looking at it now, I'm like, man, they're going to be really good for a long time again. The <laughs> elite staying like. elite. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah, that, there's no hiccups. <laughs> no hiccups going to happen yeah. there. I guess that's what happens when you build up like a 50-year reputation of being a an elite blue chip program. Is, for sure. You know, that for just sure. that just happens for you. And we see like you mentioned North Carolina and Hubert Davis taking the Tar Heels all the way to the final four where they knocked off Duke. The fact that the basketball gods understand this rivalry, they've never played in the NCAA tournament before. And so of course, in coach case final season they're going to have that meeting happen for the first time and unfortunately North Carolina got the win there but 
North Carolina was an eight seed. You mentioned kind of the talent on their roster. They weren't that great throughout the majority of the season. They would play really well, and then they really wouldn't show up for some games. And so another kind of proof that the NCAA tournament is kind of a crapshoot, honestly. Uh, it's 64 teams make it. The best team doesn't always win. The 2015 Kentucky team that went undefeated all the way till the Final Four doesn't have a championship on their finger, but the Duke Blue Devils do because that season they also were really good with Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones, and Justice Winslow and able to win it in that regard. And the Zion and R.J. Barrett team, as Knicks fans well know or might remember, that team made it all the way to the Elite Eight, one step away from the Final Four. And if R.J. Barrett made a couple of free throws down the stretch, Duke would have continued playing further into the dance. So I'm really excited. I think the rivalry is still going to be just as great as it always is. And it's going to have really good basketball players on both sides because I think you're starting to see better players enter the North Carolina world as well under Hubert Davis's recruiting. All right, I'll be right back in to finish up talking with JJ about some of the other prospects that could potentially be available to the Knicks, mostly Mark Williams, but a little Paolo Bancaro talking there as well. He's an intriguing dude, of course, a uh, potential top three pick. Talk about whether he's worth really like trading the farm for or not. But I got I, I love doing the first part of this read. Boom shakalaka. We have big news. The one, the only NBA Jam is back. Arcade One Up, the leader in at-home retro arcade games, is not only bringing the best game ever back, but they've made it bigger than ever with a, wait for it, Shaq edition machine. Uh, you know, I don't know why you would get any machine other than the Shaq one, because honestly, Shaq's kind of dominant in NBA Jam. You can throw the oops. You can, you know, throw down those power dunks. He's a big-time rebounder, maybe lacking a little bit in the jump shots, but, like, goaltending doesn't exist really in NBA Jam. So Shaq's, like, the dude. So I would love to get a Shaq edition machine. And people are obsessed with NBA Jam, and I'm thrilled to tell our listeners that you can once again play hoops with NBA legends in this arcade classic Jump clear across the court and set the ball on fire in one of the first sports games ever to feature real and digitized NBA licensed teams. No fouls, no free throws, and no quarters required. Compete with friends and family through all new Wi-Fi leaderboards, making you more connected than ever. Pre-order now from ArcadeOneUp.com. That's Arcade, the number one, up.com. For an estimated early September ship date, Arcade One Up is the place for fun. They've got even more classics like Golden Tee, Mortal Kombat, and many others starting at just $399, which for full-on arcade cabinet, not too shabby. Check this out. They're giving away an NBA Jam Shack Edition to a Locked On listener. Enter for a chance to win a game console for your man cave at arcadeoneup.com slash locked on. That's arcade the number one up.com slash locked on. You've got until July 8th to enter to win the NBA Jam Shack Edition console. Don't miss out. Enter today. Who are you going to play with? Better be Patrick Ewing. Yeah. So getting back to some of the, the Duke players. Yeah. I wanted to briefly touch on. I actually, I only mentioned Paolo before the show, but then I was thinking about it. I was like, I should probably ask you about Mark Williams a little bit too. Considering the Knicks have also had some, whether through official channels or not, there's been like our very own, uh, you know, co-worker, Rafael Barlow, mocked Mark Williams to the Knicks at one point and caught a bunch of heat from Knicks fans <laughs> on YouTube comments and stuff. Because I I don't think too many people are super enthused about potentially using the pick on a center. But the possibility does exist. And, you know, the, the Knicks are looking at a potential 
Mitchell Robinson-less world right now. And if that happens, then you're going to have a pretty gaping hole at center because as much as everybody wants to be like, oh, he just drafted Jericho Sims. He's really good. I, I don't think anyone that watched the games this year would be like, he's definitely ready to start year two. You know, he was he was a little bit of a project coming in. He showed some great intangibles, but like he still has foul issues, uh, just like any young big does. And, you know, he still needs to learn coverages more and stuff like that. So like it would definitely be helpful to have another center on the roster that knows what they're doing. And maybe one that can stay on the court a little more than like New Orleans Noel. So to get to Mark Williams, you know, looking at him, he's first off, he's enormous. Like, I mean, he's he would step on an NBA floor and be one of the biggest guys on the floor, you know, just by virtue of of his height and his wingspan. He measured great, you know, at the combine and all that stuff. Like he he's a really, really big dude, like much bigger than like Jalen Duran, even at least from a pure size perspective even though Duran is like more chiseled and whatever, but like he's, he's got that prototypical, at least sort of classic NBA center size. Uh, but I, I guess that leads me to my, my first and most, most important question about Mark Williams. How do you feel about his ability to stay on the floor in the NBA, both on the offensive end and on the defensive end? Because I think that we just saw in the NBA finals and throughout the playoffs, and this has been a trend for a number of years now, like, some of the best centers in the league get played off the floor routinely. And that's become sort of an issue. Like that makes it so that it's a little hard to justify spending like a top 15 pick on a true center like that, a true seven footer. If you're not confident that they can like defend in space and maybe at least hit like a mid range jumper to space the floor a little bit. So how do you feel about Mark, you know, coming into the NBA and his ability to be a more modern NBA big, despite, looking and in many ways feeling like a more traditional big. Unbelievably excited is how I feel about Mark Williams uh, joining the league. I think this guy is going to be outstanding. You mentioned the measurables, Alex, and obviously when you watch him play or just look at him, you could tell like, yep, that's a seven footer and he's blocking every shot out there. So I would imagine the wingspan is there. I'd also throw out to people that at the combine, Mark Williams came in and measured at a 5.4% body fat, which is just unbelievable. That's not heard of for somebody that large for that to be the case. But this is somebody that really does take pride in his body and the shape that he's in. So on the defensive end this year, he was one of the top rim protectors in the country, Uh, had like 4.8 blocks per 40 minutes, which was one of the top 15 marks in all of college basketball. And when you say college basketball, I got to remind people that there are 353 Division I teams that are always in the statistical measures. So you've got some really small schools that are being factored into these numbers. So for Mark Williams to be that high is just so impressive. And then the other number that I love to throw out is Mark Williams was the only player in America that shot better than 70% from both the field and the free throw line. Does take advantage of his opportunity to get found. Only one person in America, and I just told you there are 353 Division I teams, had 70% shooting from the floor and the free throw line, and that was Mark Williams. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm so fired up to see where he could end up potentially in the NBA. Yeah, well, certainly from a, from a Knicks fan perspective, as much as I like Mitchell Robinson, one thing that has always been an issue is his inconsistency at the free throw line. And so that, that soft touch from from Mark would probably be a improvement from day one. 
uh, for the Knicks right there at the center position because they honestly have not had great free throw shooting at that spot in years. I can't even think of the last center that they had that was like a plus or at least average free throw shooter, which usually an average free throw shooter for a center is the equivalent of a plus free throw shooter (laughs) for that position. No kidding. No kidding. And then the other number that I just want to put into context as well for Mark Williams and and his offensive game, speaking to that, uh, because when you're shooting that well, you're obviously closer to the rim. And so Mark Williams finished the season on a team that we're talking about that has A.J. Griffin, that has Paulo Banquero, and then Wendell Moore Jr. and Trevor Keels with 96 dunks. So he still got his. This team was able to drive to the rim and, and float the ball up to him, and he able uh, to slam it home there. And for people wondering how important is that, well, for college basketball since 2007, only seven players have ever had greater than 95 dunks in a season. And Mark Williams came out at uh, 96. Only seven have had 95-plus, that being Bam Adebayo, Yudoka Azabuki, Montrez Harrell, Obi Toppin of Knicks fame, Taco Fall, and then Anthony Davis. I mean, those are all NBA guys that I just rattled off there, and Mark Williams joins that group as well. Yeah, and I think that he splits the difference there between a guy like a taco who was obviously that was all he did because yeah. like he could just dunk it standing up. So that almost doesn't count. Right. But then, you know, a lot of other really elite athletes there that, that really have, have made their mark in the NBA. Otherwise uh, I wanted to briefly ask you about Paolo Bancaro as well. And, you know, I know that this is a pipe dream for the Knicks and most of their trade up aspirations center on Jaden Ivy, it seems like, and rightfully so. I think that he's he fills more of a pressing need for them than a Bancaro would, especially if Julius Randle is still on the roster. But assuming that there was a world where the Knicks had an opportunity to let's say trade up to three or four and you know really bet the farm on Bancaro, would you feel like that's a good decision? Like do you think that he is really the real deal, like potential superstar in the NBA? Do you think that he's going to be as what most people have thought about this draft class in general, like potentially a, a fringe all-star, you know, like basically I think to justify trading all the way up that way for him, he would have to be like an all NBA or, and like a multi-time all NBA guy. If you're going to like mortgage your whole, you know, system for him. So what's your what's your overall read on him? Like, do you think that he's going to come into the league and and have the potential to be more of that like all NBA guy? Or do you think like and there's nothing wrong with this, that he's going to be like just a, a really, really good player and a really good scorer and maybe not necessarily that like top, you know, top 20 tier or whatever in the NBA at any given time? Yeah, I'm certainly excited to see what he's going to be able to accomplish uh, at the next level. And and it's really hard to sit here each and every year and figure, okay, is this guy worth trading everything for to move up and and get him into our world? But for somebody like Paulo, I think his um, basketball IQ is certainly really impressive. His ability to put the ball on the deck, finish through contact, be as big as he is. Uh, He's compared often to Auburn's Jabari Smith. Um, which also hits close to home to me. I'm an Auburn University alum, so uh, follow a lot of what Jabari Smith was able to do this season. And Paulo's not quite the shooter that Jabari Smith is, but Paulo getting to the rim and, and being more uh, pl- a playmaker with the ball in his hands, we saw that way more 
than we did out of a guy like Jabari this past season. So uh, in that respect, I, I am excited for what he could bring to the next level. For Duke, we mentioned sort of their dominance of recruiting, and you go all the way back to Kyrie Irving in 2011 when Coach K kind of really dialed in and wanted to dominate the one-and-done era of basketball. So all of a sudden we've got Jason Tatum, who's concluded the NBA Finals but just finished his first season uh, as an all-NBA player at the league first team I might throw out there as well. But for a guy like Jason Tatum, I could give you Jabari Parker too, right? The top three guys selected out of Duke where things didn't necessarily go his way. Marvin Bagley still trying to figure out what his role is in the NBA. But then another guy like Jason Tatum would be Brandon Ingram and how amazing he's been for the Pelicans since he's taken over. So Duke has proven that they do have some guys that are really worth throwing everything you got for that really can impact winning. And I think Paulo's one of those. And I'll also conclude, I know this is a little long-winded, with uh, the fact that Paulo's from Seattle, right? The Seattle hooping community is just crazy. You know, Jamal Crawford has always been the flag bearer for that area. But you look at a guy like Zach Levine, you look at a guy like DeJounte Murray, you look at somebody like Isaiah Thomas. There are so many guys from the Seattle area that always champion one another when it comes to basketball. And Paulo is in that company. He is always, since he was a freshman in high school, has always been invited to those runs in the summer. Can you imagine being a freshman in high school and these NBA players are hitting you up and saying, hey, we want you to come play pickup with us? Like That would just be outstanding and amazing. And then now you think about it from the basketball perspective, and it's like, yeah, this dude really benefits from that. So that's why I do think Paulo has a chance to really be special at the next level. Uh, and, and so if a team did want to, you know, throw everything together and try and move up a little bit to get him, I think they'd make a good decision. Yeah. And speaking of Seattle hoops, shout out to former Nick, Nate Robinson as well. That's right. In that, in that group like, too. I feel like every time I start to name them, I'm like, I know I'm forgetting somebody and I'm mm-hmm. going to be ashamed of myself, but how did I forget Nate Robinson? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> one of the most colorful characters to come out of that no area. Kidding. Maybe not the best player overall, no but. <laughs> One of the best that's characters. Awesome. All right, that's it for this first episode. Yeah, surprise. There's a second episode that I have coming. Uh, of course, the Dukies, JJ, everybody, they love keeping up with their alums. So although I'll probably do another show with JJ a little later this summer, getting into RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish's performances, I still open the floor up to JJ a little bit to ask me some questions about those two guys, how they played this year and all that stuff. Uh, to give a little bit of Nick's perspective. So that's coming up in a bonus episode in just a little bit. So keep your eyes out. Uh, if you're listening to this or watching this in the morning, uh, then a couple hours from now in the afternoon, there will be a second episode in your feed. If you're listening to this in the afternoon, what are you doing? Go get get on that second episode. We got a bonus episode for you guys today because we love you so much. So take a listen to that. And then Gavin actually has a great episode for you guys coming tomorrow, too. we got a jam-packed weekend as we get ready for the draft next week. So keep your eyes out for that as well. But until next time, in the bonus episode in a couple of minutes, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you guys all soon. Peace.